I spent the last 10 years teaching corporate America leadership and teamwork. Now, I've left my 9 to 5 job to help as many people as possible become leaders in their work and personal lives. Some say leaders are born, but I say they're built. This podcast is the beginning of my mission to create change on a massive scale. Join me and follow along as we explore leadership, teamwork, and growth together. My name is Brian Rollo, and this is Lead with Impact. Hi there, this is Brian, and welcome to Lead with Impact. I'm so happy to have you with me here today. We have a really special guest lined up today. We'll be talking to Chris Chancy. He is a gentleman with a very interesting company and mission that I know you're going to enjoy learning about. But before we get there, I thought I would take just a moment and talk about the Lead with Impact podcast. If you are a regular listener, first of all, thank you. Second of all, you might have noticed it's been a moment or two since the last podcast, and there's a very good reason for that. Don't worry, Lead with Impact isn't going anywhere, but I have taken a little break to start a new company. Since we last spoke, I have created and founded the Brian Merlo Consulting Group, which is a consulting company focused on helping organizations through organizational culture and leadership. If you've been listening, obviously those topics are things I'm really passionate about. So I'm super excited to watch this company grow and to go out and help organizations create better cultures and better leadership to help not only their results, but help the people who work there enjoy the work experience more. So I'm not here to talk about that, but that's what I've been doing in the meantime. And it's something I'm super excited about. But I'm also excited about turning my attention back to the Lead with Impact podcast a little bit now that I have a moment to breathe. So don't worry, Lead with Impact isn't going anywhere. We probably won't be broadcasting daily again for a little while, but we'll be putting out at least one episode a week for the foreseeable future. And I don't see that stopping anytime soon. And I have to tell you, we have a lot of really fascinating guests to talk to, and today's guest is no exception. As I mentioned, we will be speaking to Chris Chancy. Chris is the founder of Amplio Recruiting, and that is a recruiting agency. Now, you might say there's nothing very unique about a recruiting agency in and of itself, but this is a different kind of recruiting agency. Chris created Amplio Recruiting to be an agency that helps companies hire dependable employees from the refugee workforce. They've generated over $7 million in revenue and placed over 4,000 refugees living in the United States into full-time employment over the past four years. So, really a fascinating company, both because he's helping companies hire better people, and also because, obviously, he's helping this refugee workforce become settled and become productive. So, there's a lot that I can't wait to talk to Chris about, and let's get to it. Let's talk to Chris Chancy. And we are fortunate today to be joined by Chris Chancy of Amplio Recruiting. Thank you so much for being with us, Chris. Yeah, it's an honor to be here and excited to uh, be a part of it. 
Well, I'm really excited to be speaking to you. So maybe we could start off with you letting our audience know exactly what you do and how you help people. Sure, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, yes, we, we run a staffing company. Um, we're based out of Atlanta, Georgia, and have a few other markets around the country uh, in the U.S. that we work in. Uh, but essentially, we're running a staffing agency placing refugees who have resettled in the U.S. Uh, into jobs. So folks that are legal to work and uh, have a lot of motivation to enter the workforce and, and provide uh, for their families. And uh, certainly people who've gone through a lot in their life, uh, but at the same time, able to support companies who are, who are desperately trying to, to find good employees, dependable employees to fill the open positions that they have. And uh, so about five years of of uh, helping refugees help our local economy continue to move forward. That's a fascinating mission. And I like how you started out with, I run a recruiting company, which is sort of commonplace maybe, but then shift into exactly what type of recruiting company you have, which is not so commonplace at all. So can you tell us how you found yourself carrying out this mission? Yeah, so certainly was not intentional. Um, we, uh, I spent some time overseas working with a, a, a microfinance, uh, nonprofit microfinance organization. And, um, and through that experience, got to know a little bit about what the refugee displacement process was like um, in some of the countries where, ex where refugees are coming from. But I had really no clue of what things were like here on the U.S. side. And so um, when my wife and I moved back to Atlanta to be closer to our family, we, uh, we, we really accidentally moved into what is considered one of the most diverse communities in the country uh, because it's a refugee resettlement community right outside of Atlanta, Georgia, called Clarkston. And uh, we honestly moved into the community because we, we found you know, some property that we could afford. And, and I think at some point along the way, I said, well, you know, there's probably some good restaurants in this community. It's really diverse. <laughs> but I had no clue what we were, would, would end up doing. And so the more that we ran errands in the community, the more we got connected to individuals who obviously weren't born in the U.S. And, uh, and I was most often the annoying white guy who was asking them, hey, where are you from? Where's your accent from? And, and uh, learning about their stories. And, and every one of those conversations would end with the same question. They would ask me, can I help them find a job? And, uh, and it was always intriguing to me because most often their stories were really fascinating. You know, people with higher levels of education or with lots of experience in a specific field. And, uh, and it was also really intriguing because I knew a lot of people in the Atlanta business community that were struggling to find good employees. And uh, so the more that we um, heard that same question from within the community, the more I was connecting with business owners throughout Atlanta to find out, you know, really what their needs were. And, and we said, look, we've never, we've never had any experience in staffing, but how hard can this be? Let's just connect these two groups and uh, launch a for-profit business to do it. That's the, that's the fatal question, right? How hard can this be? <laughs> Usually when we ask that question, we find out there's some difficulties we didn't expect. So was it, was it easy or were there some challenges? <laughs> yeah, so we, uh, in that first year and a half, we didn't earn one penny. Um, we, uh, we helped about 75 to 80 people get a job, um, but no one was willing to pay, pay us for it. And essentially it's because of the business model we were trying to operate. Um, there's just no precedent for you know, paying and, and, you know, a flat fee 
for an entry wage level uh, job uh, placement. And so, so we were really struggling. I mean, we got to a point where we actually shut the business down because I just felt like maybe it was supposed to be operated as a nonprofit or maybe someone else could take it and do something with it. But we had really taken it as far as it could go. And uh, I shut everything down and said, let me take two weeks and figure out if there's a path forward that I just haven't seen yet. But at the moment, I felt like I had done really everything I could do, talked to everybody I could talk to. I Googled everything I could Google and, and um, really just didn't have the, uh, the expertise and the capital that I needed to really pivot to do what I felt like most of our company's uh, customers were asking for in terms of uh, covering workers' comp and managing payroll and, and truly being a staffing company. So a lot of those details that probably weren't evident when you first got so excited about the mission. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, you know, the, the essential e-myth, right? Like you, you can be good at do, doing something or be passionate about doing something. Um, but you know, the, the, the details and the processes and the structure to actually do that in a sustainable way is the, is the challenge um, that, that all of us face. And it's the reason why, you know, so many businesses fail. Uh, so, um, we've always had this approach of just failing forward and figuring things out. Um, even in the failure, let's learn from it. And, uh, and so that's kind of where we were. Um, we took a couple weeks off and I got a phone call from a company that said, Hey, heard what you're doing. would love to put 40 refugees to work at our company. Um, and they said, we just need you to cover workers comp and manage the payroll and we can start tomorrow. And I said, Thanks for the call, but we're actually no longer in business because we couldn't do the things that you just uh, requested. <laughs> um, good luck. And um, the guy said, I'll give you three days to figure it out. And he hung up the phone. And so I'm, uh, I'm just staring at my computer screen thinking, like, what have I not done that I could now do to try to fix this in the next three days? And uh, ironically, um, or as or as fate would have it, or uh, you know God's blessing, whatever you want to call it, I had a phone call scheduled with a guy to talk about some of the work I was previously doing in microfinance, um, and I didn't know him. It was just a guy from Chicago I'd scheduled a phone call with, and uh, we got on the phone together. Um, I mean, literally at that moment, I had the phone that that call scheduled. We jumped on the phone, and and he started telling me a story. He said, "Hey, I." Uh, I just sold a successful staffing company in Chicago, and now I'm serving as a consultant for startup staffing agencies. And uh, I stopped him right there. I was like, all right, well, let's talk about microfinance, but we got a lot to talk about because I'm actually trying to uh, figure this whole staffing thing out. And so um, he kind of helped navigate through some of the challenges with us. And a few days later, we called the company back, and they became one of our first clients. It's amazing how things just work out the right way sometimes. I mean, yes, but it's, it's one of those, you know, it was a year and a half in the making, right? Like if, if we had walked away or quit any sooner, we would have, we have completely missed everything that's happened you know, in the past three and a half years. And, uh, I mean, I, I just, for me, it, it changed my whole, the whole way I uh, see the work and my role that I play in the business, that it's not this like white knuckled kind of, we're going to make things happen and, and hustle and grind and take you know, don't take no for an answer kind of approach as much as it's, Hey, we're going to make the most of what we have and, and work hard. But you know, there's a, there's a higher power at work in many ways and what we do and, and, uh, we just need to enjoy it and, and, uh, you know, be the best stewards of, of what we have right in front of us. Exactly. exactly. So I would like to ask you a little bit about the work that you're doing. 
matching sure. refugees to employers because that sounds equally parts fascinating and I can see where it would be difficult at times. So first of all, dealing with employers, what preconceptions or maybe even misconceptions do you sometimes have to overcome? Yeah, such a great question. Um, you know, essentially we hear the same story from so many different companies almost on a daily basis now. And, um, and it really doesn't matter what industry they're in, you know, so we've got, we've got just in the last few days, uh, companies calling us from Florida. That's, you know, mainly construction. Uh, we've got, you know, manufacturing companies calling us from Oklahoma, um, uh, you know, engineering firms and, and, and essentially it's all the same story. And you know, I can get out my pen and paper ready to take notes about exactly the kind of employee they're looking for. But every time it's, we just need people who are willing to show up on time and do the work that we, that we put in front of them. And, uh, and essentially it's just, we, you know, we can't find people who are willing to do that. They're either not able to pass a drug test. They don't have the right paperwork to, to, you know, to legally, uh, you know, maintain this job for, for, you know, a long period of time. And so, um, so we hear that, those kind of details and then we kind of share about the refugee community. And of course there's some pushback, but, um, I think the, the, the political rhetoric and the media coverage of refugees in our country has actually been good for us in the sense that there's some education and some of it's a little bit, um, there may be some misunderstandings or, or misconceptions, but, um, there is a kind of a basic foundation of an understanding that refugees have been resettled in the U S and they are legal to work. And so we just, our main role is helping people recognize the refugee community is not a charity case. And they're actually not a terrorist threat. The large majority of refugees in this country are a workforce, and they want to work. They want to add value to the uh, to the company and to the local community. They want to pay taxes and, and contribute, just like uh, you know many of our ancestors did when they came to this country and looking for the American dream. So that's really the crux of the argument in most cases with a, with a potential employer is help helping them define exactly what this community is all about. So what advantages come from employing refugees? You sort of answered that a little, but maybe you could dig into it a little bit more. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the two, the two biggest um, economic impact that we see is really uh, first in retention. So when we look at staffing companies around the U.S., um, we see right around a 40% success rate. So that means that for every 10 people starting at a company – only four of them will be left after three months. And there could be a variety of challenges or barriers that you know, keep those individuals from, from long-term employment. Um, but for us, we see retention rates right around 80%. So eight out of 10 people are still engaged after three months and we're right around 70% after one year. And so we just see a, dr a drastic improvement on retention rates at the companies where, uh, where we're serving. And uh, uh, there was just a report that came out and it surveyed uh, right at 4,000 companies in the U.S. that have hired refugees in some capacity. And they, they reported about the same. 73% um, showed retention rate after one year. So that's a huge improvement that goes right to the bottom line for a lot of companies. Um, but the other big factor is we see an increase in production as well. So, um, you know, one of the companies that's just down the road from our uh, office here in Clarkston is a company that makes – baby bottles and other baby products, pacifier clips and things they sell in Walmart and uh, several other big box retailers. 
And uh, the, I guess it's been a couple of years now. The first group that we placed, there was a group of, uh, of Burmese women uh, who have been resettled in our community. And um, the, the quota that was expected at this company for the production each day was somewhere around 300 units of whatever um, the product was. And it was just a couple weeks in that the group of women that we took there were producing somewhere between 600 and 900 units a day. <laughs> and, and they were doing, I mean, you know, we'd, we'd stop by the company and they're, they're sitting in really comfortable rolling chairs with music playing and speaking in their own language and enjoying themselves, but also just very focused on doing the best job they could do because they were very grateful for the opportunity. So we see that across the board in companies where production increases pretty quickly. And again, that, that touches the bottom line. So um, those are the two biggest factors that we see. And, you know, no matter how you feel about the political side of, you know, whether people should or should not be in, in the country, immigration, all these things, it's hard to argue with the numbers. And if you're a company that's, you know, pretty desperate and, and trying to meet the demands you have, you start talking about an increase in retention and productivity, you know, they're, they're all ears. And, and we love that. We get to jump right in and, and um, you know, be a part of that success story in the turnaround. It's so impressive. I was just speaking last week, actually, with a business owner, trying to help him a little bit. And he is in large scale, the construction field. I don't want to drill into it too much uh, because it was a private conversation. But he told me some of the things that you're saying. In other words, he hires people and they don't show up. And he doesn't think he has any options because whenever he gets rid of them, bring somebody else in, they're not reliable. They don't show up. And uh, it just makes me think how sometimes we just need to shift our perspective a little bit. Right. Well, and especially for construction, uh, there's such a huge need in our country. So right now the stat is that for every, uh, for every five people that retire from the construction field, only one person is replacing them. Wow. And so, you know, you play that out over the next 20 years and even, you know, even as we think about automation that's coming down the line over the next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, I mean, there's still a huge gap that needs to be addressed. And I think we, we often communicate it like this, that every American that wants a job, there's a job for them. There's 7 million open jobs right now in the U.S., 7 million. So every person that wants a job can have one and there's still plenty left over for the individuals who have you know, resettled here and are trying to kind of start their life over. It's, re it's remarkable. Now, do you help people just in your area? Are you doing this throughout the country? What's your footprint look like? We are. Yeah. So right now our main office is in, is in Atlanta and then we also operate in Dallas, Houston and Raleigh, North Carolina. So in those three markets, we're really uh, just under a year old and, and really getting up to speed there, but have some great clients on board. And then uh, we've got three other markets coming on this year in Detroit, Philadelphia, and Nashville. Uh, but our goal is to be in 25 locations by 2025. So we got a lot of work to do. But there's so much opportunity too. Right. I think if we, if we do that and we hit the numbers we're projecting, then we put about 30,000 refugees into full-time employment in the U.S., just out of curiosity, because I've never spoken to anybody who does this before, do you have competition? Is there somebody else that's doing this that going up against, or is this sort of like a your own niche you've made? Well, there's certainly a lot of nonprofit support within the refugee community, and uh, and there's various work being done around helping refugees either be be better prepared for taking jobs like upskilling and training, 
We partner closely with an organization called Tecton Training uh, here in the Atlanta community that uh, you know teaches construction trades and other trades. Um, but you know, on the on the for-profit side, there really, unfortunately, there is no competition. But I I hope that if we do our job well, that's going to change, right? That the mindset's going to shift even from the larger staffing companies, and they'll recognize that it's worth the sacrifice and really investment in the refugee community to, uh, to be able to, I mean, there's plenty of people that need jobs and there's plenty of open jobs. So, um, you know, so we welcome that in a lot of ways, any, any refugee that's getting a job and helping a company move forward is, is a win for the country. So, uh, so we became a, a B Corp, um, just, uh, about six months ago. And, um, you know, in that pursuit, we said, look, we, we became the only, the first and only staffing company to be a B Corp. And we just said, that's not acceptable, right? I mean, at this point, especially the way the job market is, uh, staffing companies need to be treating employees with dignity and, and respect and, and really putting people over profit. And so, um, you know, hopefully we can put the bar at a place where a lot of other staffing companies who are already really doing good things can really coalesce and, and unify to, uh, to really put higher standards in place. It's encouraging to think that this will really expand even more. Phenomenal work. Now, let me ask you a question a little bit more general in nature. Suppose I'm an employer and I have a workforce that's more of a traditional workforce. Maybe it has some refugees. Maybe it's just a traditional workforce. What do you see that works well for employers to encourage a growth mindset from their employees? Yeah, that's a great question. We um, we often see that the refugee community has that kind of innate growth mindset in uh, the way they approach their work. And so um, I think it's it, from, from employers, it's recognizing that there are individuals who want to learn and want to grow and that just giving them the permission and the authority to do that and, and really in some cases sit down with them and map out what it could look like for them to be a part of the company for a long time and to really grow up through the company, really help them identify what skills and trainings do they need to go after. Because the reality is they're probably going to be going after developing themselves in some way. But if you can tailor that um, to what your company needs most, it's a win-win situation. They're going to continue to improve and, and contribute, and, uh, and, and they'll be paid well for it. And so um, that's what we really encourage is companies to really sit down with those individuals they see a lot of potential in and help them map out what the future could look like. That's fantastic. So, in general, what would you say is a lesson that a listener can take away from what you're doing? What would you like your message to be? Yeah, that's, that's a profound uh, thought. I, I think at the end of the day, we want, we want individuals to recognize that um, when you think about refugees, especially those of, who've resettled out of um, you know, their home country and into another country, um, that those individuals have a lot to offer. And if we think about them in terms of just needing our charity or in terms of, hey, they're really, they could be dangerous, we're really, um, we're really doing a disservice to them as individuals and as people who want to contribute. So, you know, connect with someone, get to know them, uh, hear their story, sit down for a meal, and it changes what, become, what was an issue becomes a very personal story. And, uh, and then it gives you the option of stepping in and doing something about it to be a part of, of the solution. Yeah, I can see that. You know, I don't have nearly the experience working with refugees as you do. In fact, I have pretty much zero experience dealing with refugees. But 
from my standpoint, you're talking about people who have already worked so hard to get here. So it's not like they just rolled out of bed one day and decided to, maybe I want a job. We're talking about people who have put, put in phenomenal effort even to be in a position to possibly work someday. So mm. it seems to me that's something that shouldn't be taken for granted. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, they all they all had jobs and were working back home before things, you know, civil warfare or, uh, you know, whatever it may be, um, you know, some sort of violence or, or disease that out that that uh, you know caused uh, challenges for them to stay where they were. No one wants to leave their home, you know, and so, uh, but we but we feel like the dignity of work of being able to to give them a meaningful job and then earn a living wage. Uh, helps them kind of begin to restore what has been, you know, challenging for them right. and helps them uh, integrate, uh, you know, quicker and, and, you know, provide a benefit to the local community. So, uh, yeah, that's very true. And now, is it true that you are working on a book? Yes. Yeah, so uh, we have uh, a book coming out in the fall called The Refugee Workforce. And, um, and so all the information on that is at refugeeworkforce.com. So we're excited to, you know, just to, to talk about the economics of uh, the impact of refugees in the U.S. and share some of our stories and look at the most recent stats that have come out around this issue and um, just be a resource for those that are uh, open minded about how um, both how our company continues to move forward and, and continue to see economic growth, as well as how refugees may play a role in that. So. Uh, it's not a political uh, conversation as much as it's just to, to provide awareness um, and economic uh, you know, stats around what's happening and how we can be involved. And that's refugeeworkforce.com? Yes, yeah. And can people pre-order? Can they sign up now? Should they just keep an eye out for an announcement? Yeah, there's a way for you to sign up as soon as you land on the site for uh, just to get more information. And the pre-orders will start here uh, in the summer in the next few months. And uh and yeah, we, we would love to have those that are engaged in this topic and, and really care about it and want to see it really reach the hands of uh, influencers and policymakers to, uh, to join, uh, join our team and be involved in launching it out. And is there any other location online where people can learn more about you or Amplio Recruiting? Yeah, our website, AmplioRecruiting.com, is a great place for that. If you know of companies that would be interested in hiring or just if you just want to learn more, uh, it's a place to get plugged in and get connected to our socials. And just, you know, as we often share stories about our employees and the companies that are hiring them, we'd love to, to uh, stay engaged. And there's one more question I'd like to ask you. It's a bit of a philosophical question. And uh, I'd like to ask this of our guests. If you could send a message to yourself 10 years ago, what would you tell your younger self? That's a good one, Brian. Uh, <laughs> Okay, well, so one thought is that um, in a few weeks, I'll be celebrating, celebrating my 10th anniversary with my wife. Congratulations. Uh, um, and so 10 years ago, I was you know, engaged and probably sweating this, this you know, big moment and big decision. I'd say, hey, this is the best thing that's ever going to happen to you. So just, <laughs> just relax and enjoy it and listen closely to her because uh, she's often right. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. And what does the future hold for you? Well, I think, you know, for now, it's really pursuing how do we um, how do we create a model where both where everyone wins, you know, where these companies that are struggling to hire in manufacturing and construction and hospitality around the U.S. can engage a community of people who want to be the, the solution. 
And, uh, and how do we do that in multiple cities across the country at scale? We'll have to have, you know, the right people to run those offices and, uh, you know, do sales as well as recruiting for us. And, uh, and so we're really just as we did early on and, and, and kind of bit off more than we can chew, but learned in the process where we're in the same place as we, uh, as we grow and scale out and, uh, you know, excited to continue to push forward. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show, Chris. It's a phenomenal work that you're doing, and it's heartwarming, and it's helping everybody at the same time. So I, I want to commend you for that. Thank you for the work you're doing, and again, thank you for taking a few minutes to share your story with us. Well, thanks, Brian. I appreciate the time and look forward to staying engaged with you as well. And so that was Chris Chancy, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did was really fascinating and intriguing to me to hear how he was able to match the business needs of our communities with the social and labor needs of the refugee workforce. Really ingenious and uh, I'm so happy to hear his success and learn how he did it. And I hope you gained from it as well. That will be it for this episode of Lead with Impact. I'm happy you were with me. If you found us out there somewhere on your favorite podcasting network, if you could take a moment to like, rate, subscribe, review, you know, all that stuff, it would be greatly appreciated. In the meantime, go out, have a great day, lead with impact, and I will see you next time.